Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. I'd like to thank our hosts for today, Solana, for having us in their studio. And of course, I want to thank our esteemed guests for taking the time. We have Cyril Matthew, President and Chief Operating Officer at Zero Hash, joining us on the other side of the mic. And today we're going to be discussing how Zero Hash is enabling companies to get into the crypto world. We have here seamlessly embed digital assets into their product offering, but that seems that I want to intimidate our listen- listeners um, with such a heady language. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. Well, so, sir, thanks so much for taking the time to join. Uh, you obviously, we were just talking about London. I was just there. You lived in Europe for 10 years. I'm moving to Europe, so you're going to gonna have to give me some pointers on how to, how to fit in. Um, I, think, I think I'm halfway there. Um, maybe a bit more um, cigarette smoking. It's very big there, from what I can tell. Um, so walk us through your journey, right? How'd you end up at at Zero Hash, you've been at a number of different companies, Facebook, uh, as well as Coinbase. So you've kind of run the gamut between technology and financial services. And it's probably safe to say that Zero Hash sits somewhere in between. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Frank. And for the audience, it's Cyril from, from Zero Hash here. Um, um, excited to be with everyone. So yeah, I mean, I, I was in Europe, as you mentioned, for about a decade. I, I mean, my kind of well, for, for everyone with the details, but my recent history is really just helping tech companies scale globally. It was Facebook when I first went to Europe. It was um, a few years after that, it was Uber, where Uber was trying to grow into many countries. And I think it's a pretty good analogy to what crypto is going through right now, where there's not regulatory clarity. You're sort of trying to push into the markets and pushing new boundaries, although sometimes the regulators have even more scrutiny than they did in the case of Uber. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but, but I tell folks, um, it, it's at Uber where I caught my sort of quote-unquote crypto bug because um, I just understood how the challenge of a multinational company having to pay out drivers in like 50, 60 countries as well as those drivers remitting money back home. And I was still a driver where giving a bag of cash to someone, I would magically end up home but minus 20%. And so um, I started reading about a Bitcoin and Ethereum at the time and I thought there, there's got to be a better set of rails that can enable this sort of value movement um, and um, cut the crypto bug on Coinbase, you know, um, went to Stripe. I think the most recent journey Stripe is is kind of what exemplifies why I joined ZeroHash. Um, um, I've been in crypto for a while, was at Coinbase for a few years, helping them expand the USDC stablecoin. And I, I went to Stripe with the mission. Actually, I told this to kind of Mike Dudas, who was the founder of the block before um, I joined Stripe. He was like, why are you going into into a you know, TradFi when you're already in crypto. And I said, listen, I think if I can get Stripe, you know, back on that crypto journey, they had started accepting Bitcoin in 2014, but deprecated that a few years later. It could be really impactful on the industry, a global payments player, one that's tech forward, you know, some of the best APIs in the world, 
to, to embrace crypto. Now, I don't want to take credit for that. I wasn't the only reason Stripe got into crypto, but I was that annoying person inside that said, listen, coins now, um, there's the better L. Might be helpful for you to give some advice on how to be annoying within a large organization to push <laughs> crypto because it is a, it is probably a fine art. Yeah, I, I've got a good playbook on this now. Actually, uh, Kai Sheffield at Visa and I share notes here, and he's a good friend, and he's he sort of gave me some of his playbook at Visa as well. Um, you know, and happy to double click on that to, to round out the question on why zero hashes when Stripe eventually did decide to kind of enable crypto, and and the Carlsons had always been curious on the space, but they wanted to enter it when it wasn't just speculation, when it was real utility being driven. And so we decided to do that. And, and, and But soon in that journey, we were like, listen, there's a number of regulatory licenses that we think we need. There's a bit license thing in New York, custody, there's liquidity, all these sorts of things. And so we soon kind of came to the realization, like we could try to get all these things under our belt and apply and, and build but we'd be launching crypto three, four years later, or we could try to partner enable this, like um, at least within months, if not years. Um, and so um, that's when I stumbled upon zero hash. I, you know, admittedly hadn't even heard of zero hash, but you know, soon in our kind of discovery, we realized um, for taking a step back for those who don't know these fiat to crypto on ramps, not the exchanges like Coinbase or Binance, but fiat to crypto on ramps. You may have heard of names MoonPay or Transac or Simplex or Ramp. Um, Sardine is a new one. Um, all of them, you know, at some point in time, and a lot of the major ones still today have zero hash powering the crypto leg under the hood, and that's because zero hash and Edward, our founder, took a bet that um, either crypto native companies that are starting in the space and need to get all this regulatory infrastructure, or fintechs, who crypto may be one percent of their business, but they want to enable crypto, are going to need a player that one has all the tech, but two has all the kind of regulatory licenses and and has this model that enables them, and so. Stripe was like, wow, Zero Hash is really powering a lot of this and has an API for technology. And so um, Stripe decided to partner with Zero Hash for that reason. And then as I got to know Zero Hash over the last year, I was like, um, especially in a post-FTX world where scrutiny is only um, going to be more, um, I think Zero Hash really has something here. If your thesis is that eventually more fintechs or even more Web2 companies will want to offer crypto. So a long way of answering your question of kind of what, what, what took me to Zero Hash. No, it makes a lot of sense. So let's go back to Stripe. Why exactly can't is it is it is it the technology or is it more so the relationships or the regulatory aspect that sort of requires Stripe to partner versus sort of uh, build out some of that connectivity? Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely not a requirement. I mean, it's always a trade-off when people are going into new area. Any any company exploring a new area, you've got this kind of buy-build partner, right? And um, um, but like when you think about crypto, as as you know, much as you know, it, it should be permissionless and these sorts of things. When you're a financial services company coming to the space, um, and and you're used to safeguarding customer assets, you've got to think about a lot of things. First, on the tech side, you've got to think about the number of assets that I want to offer. If I want to offer even like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a few stable coins, I've got to have liquidity for it. I've got to have a safe place to store it, so quote unquote custody for it. Um, you know, I've got to then think about if I want to send it, what do the regulators think about that? So if I want to enable Cyril to send to Frank, maybe that's not regulated, but if I want Cyril to, you know, use a debit card um, to then send it to my MetaMask wallet, you know, some states will say that's money transmission. And so that's when uh, even a company like Stripe that is very well regulated will say, listen, for this sort of exploratory bet like crypto, 
Like, do we want to now undertake all those licenses and start to build a lot of that tech in-house? Or should we at least partner and, and, and think about can a partner enable us to validate these use cases first, right? And then maybe eventually you'd build in-house if you think this is a big enough piece of your pie. Or maybe not. Maybe the partnership works as well. But that's really why a company like Stripe would do that versus, you know, take take two or three years, build it all in-house, get all the licenses, and then, you know, maybe that quote-unquote bet doesn't work out. And so we're... Zerohash really makes that step easier. I think for ourselves, like the company that can really help bridge so many Web two companies get into this space. Some of them, we think a small handful may eventually want to build some of that in house, but but a lot of them may say, "Hey, this works pretty well through a partnership that we can keep enabling." So you kind of have a good sense of like what people are building out there in crypto because, you know, obviously, you're you're sort of providing these rails to many different types of actors, right? Stripe is very different from, you know, some of the brokerages that Zero House uh, Zero Hash works with. So walk us through like where's the puck skating, as it were? What are people are people coming to you for the same type of uh marketplaces or companies as they were? I mean, obviously you're you're relatively new to the firm, but based on maybe some of the insight or input of your colleagues how how has that changed? Yeah, I would say current state versus where it's going. And and, and um, I've been in crypto for a while, and I've tried to exactly predict where the puck's going. I've typically been wrong, so I'll, I'll give that disclaimer. Um, but that being said, um, the, the the two areas that really we found good fit with at Zero Hash is a company enabling these um, other business models to enable crypto. You mentioned the two. One is brokerages. And so you have Tasty Trade and, and, and the likes of those that are, um, you know, they are already enabling trading of securities and other things, and they want to have sort of a crypto leg of that. Um, you, you could say a subset of that is kind of um, the neobanks who, you know, offer different sorts of services, but all digitally, and then again would want kind of a, a crypto service there. So, you know, Robinhood's not using that, but Robinhood in the, in the, in the latter case, in the former case, sorry, um, is, is another great example of that. The second area is... The, uh, what I mentioned earlier, these on-ramps. So anytime you need to go in and out from fiat to crypto, you start to hit this area where, particularly in a lot of states, especially in New York, that's considered licensed activity. And so that's clear where we have uh, product market fit. Where we're trying to kind of place bets now, where we see a lot of inbound, even in this crypto winter, is for more and more payment companies or more and more companies that are trying to move value either um, you know, in one jurisdiction, or especially like in jurisdiction to another. So um, like payroll companies or um, remittance companies and, and these sorts of companies are coming to us and saying, hey, um, you know, we have pretty good products as they are today, but um, potentially using crypto rails, um, we, we can improve if it's payroll or if it's remittance and, you know, kind of, but as I mentioned earlier, a passion area of mine. And on one side or the other, that could be regulated activity and or you need, again, uh, access to if it's a stable coin, those sorts of things that zero hash can easily provide. And so where we as a company, I mean, probably some personal bias there as well, because we really want to make this use case work, but um, are leaning into is more of kind of these payments and kind of remittance and cross border flows that we think we can help enable. Again, if we used a example of bringing traditional companies in, this could be, you know, even a transfer wise or a deal, like it's a payroll company that you help them enable um, kind of crypto rails in their current products, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And so, you know, how much do they see that penetrating their business? Is it, is it, does it almost completely cannibalize the way in which, you know, 
it's typically done? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And this was the when you asked about how to be the annoying person that's right. Like, I think this is the point that that people internally should be bringing about is one, it could be an opportunity. But two, if we as a company, if I'm in one of these companies, I'd be asking myself, can we get cannibalized if we don't act here? So it's is it in our best interest to actually like try something in this space. Um, it's sort of that innovator's dilemma, try to cannibalize ourselves. Um, and, and if this product works, we start to build it, right? So I, I, I my opinion is that it, it very much could, but that's the reason why they should embrace these things. That's why Stripe did. Um, I talked to a number of these companies. I, I, I briefly alluded to earlier when I was at Coinbase, I was one of the early team members who have launched USDC. Admittedly, it was too early then, but we talked to a lot of these freelance platforms um, about this very thing. Said, hey, I'm sure if you're a creator in Vietnam or Argentina or whatever market they're in, that doesn't have easy access to Rails, um, could get paid in the stable coin, wouldn't you want to try this? And they were like, oh, well, we, you know, a lot of them were mentioning that we have good margins if we use like PayPal or if we use kind of some of these traditional Rails. And so weren't really willing, but I've seen a sentiment change now that kind of these Rails have been out for a while, that stable coins have been used out for a while. Uh, notwithstanding some regulatory clarity that's needed, so I will certainly caveat there's still challenges there. But you definitely have seen a sentiment change from these companies. What's behind that that sort of shift in the wind? Because I'm sure they still care about margins. Yeah, but I, I think it's this kind of um, you know fear of being cannibalized is one. I think that, that uh, that's one. Two is um, I, I think there's this misnomer that you know you can't still take commercial benefit if you're using like crypto rails. It has everything has to be free or zero. Like um, I've talked to a few of these companies. Actually, I was in. Miami last week at the Bitcoin conference and, and, and a few folks had mentioned that are in this space is that actually you don't even need a cheaper solution if you're, if you're providing the quote-unquote crypto rail. What you need is something that gets there in minutes or even hours instead of like two days. I think we take for granted like the folks that are using Venmo to send money to each other or you know you've spent some time in London, Revolut or these other um, apps in Europe where you can send money to each other but that's not the case in several or I would, hundreds of countries around the world where you can get money even from the U.S. to that country. I mean, it's hard here. I mean, you, you, I um, can't tell you the amount of times whether it's, uh, I mean, sometimes it's connectivity issues. I don't know what's going, maybe you can explain this to me because you're the, this is the world from which you come. Um, I'll, I'll try to send money on Venmo and it'll, it'll just say, hey, like, sorry, this isn't working, try again. And just the money's there. The Wi-Fi is connected, and for some reason, sometimes it just doesn't work, and there's no real explanation. Um, other instances in which it sort of has cut me off, um, whereas sending USCC never had an issue. It just happens. Do you, do you know what's going on there? Um, well, I, I can't say in your specific use case, and you're sending Venmo within the U.S., right? Because I don't think they're right. Um, sometimes it just doesn't. I mean, it just doesn't work. Um, obviously, everyone's had an issue with a wire at some point in their life. So, oh, you know, Venmo is a little more seamless than a wire, but you kind of you, you, you kind of go through this. You know, maybe it's a, a scaling, a, a scale of sort of difficulties. That's right. And you're, I mean, you're calling out where Venmo does anymore in the U.S. as well. And I think that's you know, without knowing a specific issue, they're trying to like pile together a number of payment methods, either you, you, you're funding through a debit card, through PayPal, through through your bank account. And so there's probably errors when you're using a number of those and, and you know, any payment company goes through that. But like the, 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 the bigger point is like you, you mentioned the alternative for trying to get to the U.S. A lot of these countries is a wire transfer. 
a Western Union type solution where someone has to physically go to a store and get it. And so uh, to the question of margin, like actually, if you can say I can deliver this value within minutes, you know, the, the, the reason why these sort of payday loan companies exist is people need access to this capital so quickly. And so if you can say I can get it there in a few minutes and go ahead and take a half a percent of that versus like the 10, 15 percent in two days I have to wait in, in some of the other means. Right. And so like there's, you know, wire is what you're facing is not Venmo in these other countries. And I think that's really compelling. Now, I would say this, like, because I don't want to just be like standing in my soapbox and all, all of us in crypto always say, oh, it's going to remittances will work better. And they still really we haven't put a major dent into it. I think what's still missing is companies. And this is something why I say we're bullish on focusing in this area. Companies really focusing on the on and off ramp. So like you, right now, like you can send from a crypto wallet to crypto wallet works well, but um, you know, as much as we'd all want crypto to be seen as and, and used as you, the number one medium of exchange in all these countries, it's not today, right? And so I can't take USDC in a lot of these countries and easily spend it. You know, may, maybe a Visa and MasterCard debit card can help there, but you still need off ramps. And like, that's where traditional regulated players still have a big role to get in and out of, you know, if it's Bitcoin or if it's a stable coin. And, and that, that hasn't happened at scale or at least seamlessly. And that's where we think we can potentially add value as well as like my former employer Stripe and other companies like that. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. So is stablecoin the the core now? Is this is this the use case that's resonating across tech, finance, neobanks, social media? I, I think so. I, I think the reason now I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a caveat in a second, but I think the reason and, and I know from at Stripe's point of view, the usage and adoption of stablecoins, particularly, you know, and, and this is you know, no offense to folks who use Tether, but particularly when there was like a stable coin with issuers that were regulated in the U.S. Um, that had adoption, and USDC is the one I'm thinking of. That really changed the perspective of a lot of fintechs. Where okay, this is uh, you have transparent reserves. It's regulated by you know in this case an institution that has uh, the New York DFS as purview over. Um, it's something that I can get along with trusting, and I see people using it. I'm seeing after the DeFi summer, it was used in DeFi protocols. I'm seeing it as a unit of account on NFT marketplaces. Sure, these are digital things, but it was enough evidence to say I, I could start leaning in here. I, I would still make the argument that, um, and the more I talk to people in you know developing countries, that Bitcoin is still something that people, it's not the you know sexiest and <laughs> of assets. Uh, you know, mind you, the ordinal stuff that's happening in the last few weeks, but um, you know, it's still something that's widely coveted, uh, especially in high inflation areas. So I think. A combination of Bitcoin and the stable coins, especially stable coins issued on faster chains or L2s, is what changed the sentiment. Now, the caveat that I allude to is that, like, the, the, the U.S., I think should, and, and lots of people on crypto Twitter and other places have mentioned this, should be capitalizing on the demand for stable coins in these markets. Um, but we're sort of falling short in terms of the U.S. as a country in terms of offering clear legislation, right, and offering clear regulation. Right now, 
the, the issue is that a lot of folks don't know what's going to change for stable coins. Um, you know, how are the issuers going to be regulated? How, you know, um, you know they're going to put um, um, uh, requirements on the banks to custody this stuff. And so that unclarity, I think, is putting a little bit of a dent in this momentum. And that's, you know, hopefully what we see change here, but um, there's a little bit of a concern if you're in the U.S. right now. So what are some of the interesting um, stories that you see um, from conversations with clients who are still interested in maybe the Bitcoin narrative? Um, what are they, is it as simple as them trying to offer uh, buy, sell to their clients or is it something else? For Bitcoin specifically, I, I, I think that is how people get in. Um, uh, someone named Dan Held you know, um, that, 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 that I've talked to in the past is they come for the speculation and stay for the utility. Um, and so that, that is usually the first foray about people get in, hey, we've seen this, this, this asset that's appreciated over time. I do think there's a few confluence of things, again, personal opinion here, um, that, you know, when we have sort of the bank scare, you've noticed that Bitcoin as the asset did appreciate and people still see it at least as a digital store of value that may be somewhat of a safe haven and a hedge. But again, I, I, where, where I talk to folks and where I see people coming in because we're a global company is not just look at what's happening in the U.S. or Western Europe, but look at what's happening in a lot of developing countries where Bitcoin, you know, relative to the local currency is still seen as you know, a pretty decent viable alternative and it's you know, pretty censorship resistant. And um, the other kind of change, and you know, I'm probably fresh off the conference of uh, the Bitcoin conference last week, but there's a, a new company, Lightspark, that um, uh, David Marcus, ex CEO of PayPal, he used to run the Novi DM initiative, and we've had some conversations with his building to obfuscate some of the complexity of running on the Lightning Network. And there's other great companies, by the way, Lightning Labs and others in this space. Um, but all of a sudden, you have this layer two for this decentralized asset that you may now be able to use as a quicker medium of exchange. You're not waiting minutes for the confirmation or it's really expensive. And so for us, we've seen that spur up some demand from others to say, hey, okay, well, if I can use Lightning Network pretty easily, um, I don't have to set up my own nodes and you know run the liquidity between these Lightning Network channels. If I can like have this obfuscation from a company like Lightspark, all of a sudden, again, these use cases that we've talked about for years, like remittances, potentially become more of a reality. How do you adapt your strategy to meet the sort of changing or murky regulatory environment or to meet the needs of the different clients that are obviously operating in various jurisdictions. Yeah, at Zero Hash, the, you know, and my, I am two months into the role, so I'm channeling a little bit of Edward, our founder's take before, but certainly my opinion and, and, and where I want to take the company moving forward, which is that to your point about skating to where the puck is going, like I've been personally really bad at that in my past in this crypto space. It's really hard to understand like all the specific things that will come up. I, I think, you know, how people use NFTs three years ago weren't really seen. The DeFi summer wasn't seen before it came. And so it's a boring word, but to build infrastructure that allows use cases to be built on top is zero hashes sort of bread and butter, right? And so what does that mean? That means, again, um, we are you know, we're regulated by the New York DFS. We have two bit licenses and we have money transmitter licenses in 50 states. We stay close with these states and understand how that regulation is evolving and make sure that we're you know, doing everything by, by their books. The second area is um, one of the reasons Stripe chose ZeroHash is that you know um, it wasn't just Bitcoin and Ethereum that was offered. We offered a number of assets, particularly some of the new layer twos. Like we offered not only the USC stablecoin, but the USDC on Polygon. 
or on Arbitum and Optimism. And this allows, if it is a payments company or if it is a gaming company because they've leaned into a particular chain, Zero Hash has provided liquidity for that asset and an easy way for you to get that asset right. And so that's an example of, hey, we're just providing the infrastructure. We don't know exactly the use case, if it's a specific gaming thing, if it's a remittance thing, if it's just trading for speculation, whatever it is, we're going to provide the plumbing for it, right? And so if we do that, we feel like these use cases are going to come find us versus us having to go find the use cases. And that's really why we succeeded so far as a company and kind of our strategy going forward. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Point 72 is a big investor. Um, you know, I'm sure you're speaking with them or other types of firms of that caliber. Are they, do they have less resolve in the space? And, and maybe how do you sort of have that conversation around the degree to which uh, now is a good time for an institutional investor to be involved in this space in some degree? Yeah, I mean, we, we're super thrilled with Point72. Like, they're, they're such a great help as an investor. Adam Carson is one of their principals who sits on our board. And they're actually pretty involved in our business overall. Um, and they still see this as this, this sort of period, both this macro winter, if you want to call it, and the crypto winter as a period to capitalize and to get kind of the next set of brokerages, neobanks, payment companies on the platform. I would say, now taking a step back, the, the reality is a lot of the institutions that have been wanting to invest more into space, um, and potentially them, if they were just starting at this point, would probably have some pause because of what I mentioned earlier, where the U.S. doesn't seem to be able to pass any any legislation for that matter, let alone crypto um, legislation and clarity. Um, you know, we've heard we've heard comments from the administration just even this past week um, as it relates to the debt ceiling, and so a lot of this uncertainty. Um, is preventing larger institutions, I think, from taking the next step. Now, we do know that we have conversations actively, and and we know that that's what we're getting as a company that we think in the next two to three time frame will be fine. Um, but people taking that next step in the next few months certainly um, seems to be happening a lot less until we have more clarity in the U.S. You also see a little bit of hedging. There's lots of these multinationals that have entities in other jurisdictions where they may make a bet through entities in other countries. Um, which is why Zero Hash is also, um, you know, we're, we're live in Australia and New Zealand. Um, you know, we, we've started supporting clients in the UK and Europe and have licenses in those applications and as well as Brazil. We see global as a big kind of strategic hedge for us as well. Uh, we were already doing so anyways, but uh, with more of the uncertainty, you certainly want to make sure that you can serve global customers. So looking at the next year, what are you most excited about? I, I would love to say if I had a crystal ball, it would be, you know, regulatory clarity, but I can't say that. So. Um, what I'm most excited about, this sounds super cliche, but I was at Coinbase during the crypto winter. I actually, when I was trying to help Stripe get into crypto, it was also before the, the, the prior bull run had started. Now we're in a, in a winter at zero hash. And I, I would say if the people who are building now today and after kind of FTX and a lot of the stuff that happened last year, um, some of the, you know, you'll never get all the riffraff out of the space, but some of that, that has been cleared. I'm most excited that those people who are in the space now are actually trying to build for value, trying to build for utility, um, you know, not just like, you know, quick short-term wins. And, um, uh, I've seen that come to fruition again. Um, when I, I mentioned that we were launching USCC at Coinbase, actually the first year or two, I personally thought, man, this thing's not going to work because we're not getting market share from Tether and, um, you know, we're not sure if people want to use this, but actually you fast forward to 21 when the DeFi summer happened, um, you saw this being a really used asset within the space in that next bull run. I also think things that we're building at zero hash today, and quite frankly, anyone who's building for value in the space 
will have value and we'll sort of see the fruits of that labor in the next year or two, but we've got to pay, be patient and play the long game. So I didn't answer your question on the specific, but what I'm trying to say is people who are building for value today, I think it's going to pay off in the next few years. So what is your advice to um, all of us operating? Is it a winter? Is it a thawing winter going into spring? But just in a period of time where, you know, we're, we're, we're quite, uh, quite a ways away from the highs playing the long game and you, you can't predict where regulation is going. I, I mentioned I was at Uber before and you know Uber couldn't do that when they were getting into new countries and how the taxi lobby would respond. Uh, you want to find a product that people find useful and that people want to use. Um, you want to try to be solving real world problems and so um, everyone in crypto, like I mentioned earlier, loves to talk about remittances and it will solve this. Well, like put, put the actual rails down and put the solutions down that will solve it. We haven't solved it yet to be frank, right? And so if you're building for real world problems, like my advice is that will pay off in a few years. You can't, regulation may sort of pivot the way you have to go in that meantime, but um, no one has a crystal ball to predict it. So I, I, I opt for building for value and I think that will pay off over time. And that's what we're doing at Zero Hash. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join the show. Thanks, Frank, for having me. Been a long time fan. Where can we learn more about what you guys are working on? We're at zerohash.com, at zerohashx on Twitter. Um, crypto as a service provider, um, you know, follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn and go to the website. I'm at Cyril Matthew. If anyone has specific questions on Twitter, feel free to DM me or give me a shout. Um, we're looking to bring anyone who wants to offer crypto um, in a regulated, compliant way uh, along with that journey. So we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Cyril. Thanks so much. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it.